0: Don't worry about the next job. Worry about doing what you do now and do it the best you possibly can. Because that's how you build your reputation that you earn. You're not given a reputation. You earn that rep. And so when someone feels good about you, they can pick up the heck, yeah, I'll call for you. I'll write for you. I can't wait to talk to my buddy about you. That's how the world works. Do I really work like this
1: Welcome to another episode of Up Close in Personnel with Alex Brown. I'm your host, Alex Brown, and this week's guest is someone near and dear to me, and that is former longtime NFL scout, John Peterson. John scouted the NFL for 19 years, made it to multiple Super Bowls, and was named C.O. Brocado NFL Scout of the Year in 2010. He's lived out so many football lives, being involved with the XFL, the AAF, the USFL, the World League, and also the CFL as a personnel director. And if you think that's a lot, he also spent 18 years coaching at the college level, earning his first head coaching position at the age of 27, while also finding time to get a master's and a PhD. This conversation was so extensive that I'm breaking it up into two parts. So this week, we'll talk recruiting, and next week, we'll talk about more of the personnel side involved with college football. I briefly touch on our relationship, but John has truly truly been a mentor to me in my personal and professional journey. And I am just so thankful to have had him take time to bring me under his wing. Before I bring John in, I'd like to use this time to remind you all as listeners to continue to rate, subscribe, and share the show because the feedback's been phenomenal. And and I'm really, really excited about the future of this show. Since next week's episode will be the second half of my interview with John, I'll be using next week to gather any topic or episode suggestions that you may have. So please, please, drop me a line on Twitter, shoot me an email to upcloseinpersonnel at gmail.com, or hit me up on the website upcloseinpersonnel.com. This is all about leaving the game better than we found it, and I want your input. So I appreciate all of your support, all of your suggestions, and with that, I'll now bring in this week's guest, John Peterson. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um... John welcome to the show.
0: Thank you Alex it's a pleasure to be here. You know um, I don't think
1: listeners will realize this but you were the very first scout that I ever met the first scout that gave me the time of day that and you didn't have to do this you pulled me under your wing and you explained to me hey this is what you should do this is what you shouldn't do and I, I kept bumping into you for another two years turned into three years turned into seeing you at Houston and um You know, I I think it's just really cool what you're doing now that you're working with Scouting Academy. But I feel like you've been living kind of this teaching mindset your whole career. Like, when did that start for you? And and how much fun has it been to see football from so many different lenses?
0: It has been exciting, no doubt about it, Alex. Um, You know, just briefly, you know, I've been a a GM, a player personnel director, a, a college scout, College football, head coach at age 27, 19 years in the NFL, you know, post uh, work and player personnel with all star games and the XFL and the AAF and way back in 91, 92, the World League of American Football and so forth. So it goes back quite a ways. And But it's been a it's been a, um, a job of love. I, the passion for it has been the key for me. Um, to work and jo- enjoyment and and then the enjoyment of the people that I've come in contact with and interacted with. That's also a real pleasurable thing because those people I, even to this day from way back in, you know, the Alliance of American football or way back to 1991, 92, or back to my coaching days and things, I still communicate with those people and have um, lots of camaraderie with him.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I, 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 you've told me this a million times and you've said this in a million different interviews, you got to have a great football wife. How, how are you the wife and the family doing during all of this?
0: Well, you know, like other family members, uh, and in, in, across the nation and families and so forth, you know, we've been pretty much housebound, but i tell you what it's done. It's given, <clears throat> excuse me, it's given me an opportunity to, to do a lot of projects that I've never had time to do, um, in our, our house lawn and and um, all those the landscaping looks great. Just today we had our house yesterday the roof remodeled. I mean a new one put on from the storm we had a couple of weeks ago and refinished the an outside door and all these kind of um, list of things to do. Those um, and but and done it. But at the same time been able to uh, concentrate on the scouting academy. Uh, concentrate on redoing and naming and going through long past manuals and notebooks. I'm a huge notebook guy and, and going back over those and throwing some, I had reports back from 14 and 15 years ago that off my shelves I took off I said no I'll just keep one or two of these for you know posterity but other than that I've been doing a lot of cleaning and that kind of thing and, and um, but it's given me time to and kind of to at least uh, be with my grandkids. I've got 12 grandkids now. We've had two born in the last couple three four months and, and uh, certainly visit with all my uh, kids and grandkids. Uh, my one son Blair coaches at BYU, yep. he, the coach at Rice as well as as Texas and so forth. Um, so I obviously talk with him probably once a day and, what's going on in the college world and will you have a season and like all of us in this time, uh, are obviously in great question and, uh, love answers, but we have to just work it through day to day.
1: Yeah. I'm really excited to ask you some questions too, as we get along about different steps in your journey, because you've had the chance to see it from kind of every single angle, like you, like you described just a second ago, but before we kind of get into your background, what would you say, makes somebody a good recruiter? And what are the differences between good recruiters and good evaluators?
0: Well, I will say this. The person who's a good recruiter has a passion for recruiting. A passion for recruiting. What do I mean by passion? Um, They have a, a very sincere and deep appreciation for the activity that all the different phases that go into recruiting and they enjoy that and they get excited to get up in the morning and to watch tape or to get on uh, on a visit on campus or to talk to a prospective student athlete uh, in the beginning stages um, that passion has to exist I've been around some coaches that didn't have the passion and all I wanted to do was just well just give me the names of you know, 10 of those offensive linemen that I need to go see. And, you know, and in the meantime, I'll give him a call every couple of weeks and see how they're doing and whatever and so forth. But the guy that has the passion is on a regular basis. He's on a daily basis. You know, sometime during my day, I need to make a call to this person or I need to uh, let, let this person, let, let this coach know that I'll be coming through. And, and I'm anxious to talk to him about his, Two players that he nominated and so forth. Um, so that passion, I think, is is foremost that you really really enjoy it. Uh, some people don't, and, and recruiting to them is just another part of the game that I have got to do. But that's you know, it's not exciting to.
1: Them. Yeah, no, and I, I think that the the passion I kind of hear it in your voice too, talking about it because I, I know how passionate you were about visiting schools and and interviewing different people and and those conversations. And I think if you don't have that passion, if you don't have that desire to do it every single day, the, just the amount of work will will wear you out and, and, and kick you out of this game fast.
0: But besides having the passion, you've got to know your product, you've got to know the market that you're working in, and you've got to know the competition that you're working against. So those three phases, or items knowledge of your product your market that you work in and the competition that you work against i think are three important items that a recruiter has to be aware of okay he has to be aware of this you know what's the what what's what's knowledge of the product well i know this particular this particular state produces on an average 25 division 1 players i just saw the figure that the other day the state of texas produces on an average, 27 Division I football players at a minimum, at a minimum, okay, per year, okay? Well, that compared to the state of Connecticut that produces two per year, okay? So know your product. Where's your product at? What's it, where's it located? Where in the state of Texas do I wanna go first or be assigned to With the background that I have coming from this geographical location within the state? The next one is your market. What's the market? You know, we, we're we big today in brands and all these kind of terms and so forth that we use. You know, what's the brand that you're trying to present? Also know your markets, what's out there. You know, where, where am I going to find these players that meet my, my needs? It's one thing to find a player who's uh, a guy that can play, but most of all, what's your market? Now, before I go any further, I want to indicate something to you that I am dear to, and I know I've expressed this to you before, Alex. There are four phases, four critical phases involved in the game of football and the game of football recruiting. And it goes like this. Number one, number one phase, identify the talent. Identify the people you're looking for. How do I do it? How do I identify? How do I identify? Well, obviously the mass media media presents different packages uh the you know the different media both in in magazines and you know the, uh give me give me name of when i'm going blank on college
1: you're, you're talking about Exos and yeah Texas XOs, Press and all this, the and scouting all services. The, yeah, all yeah,
0: services yeah all yeah, the yeah. different sc- services is what, what i want to say and i he's a blue or he's a one or he's a five and all these different terms but they're identifying players for you now you can go to a uh, to our lads and people like that. And they talk about this. You can go to uh, draft diamonds and they interviewed division three small colleges guy. I was on there the other day and they were, had an interview with a, a player from Adams state college in Alamosa, Colorado, which many years ago I would go to on a regular basis. And they had a player there. They were interviewing a rising senior to be, well, I don't know about that guy from where I'm at today, but I read the interview and all of a sudden they were identifying a player to me that I may want to go to the next step with. Okay. And and so with this identification piece, they explained that he was this size and weight and speed. And again, they're all estimates of this and that, but at least they were fitting into the next category, which is to qualify, qualify. So now I've identified I need to qualify. How do I do that? Well, Height, weight, speed could be one qualifying. In college, it's academics. Does he have a certain grade point? Does he have an ACT score of this? Okay. Has he got good recommendations from his counselor? Does he get recommendations on his playing ability from his coach? We begin to qualify him. Okay. And then after we qualify and say, yep, you know what? I identified this guy. He qualifies, and he also qualifies for the off op- the offense or the defense that we use. All right, and it's a big man's game. If right. I'm at the University of Texas, I'm not going to recruit a six foot offensive lineman unless he is the most startup player in the, in the universe. He better be six three as a minimum, and he better be right now as an incoming freshman, two hundred eighty five pounds. Right. Right? I can't look at him, right? Yeah. So I got to qualify. And so there's a number of ways we qualify people, both on the field and off the field. Once we've done that, we go to phase three. And that's to evaluate. Look at the tape. Now, it bugs me so much when I hear college coaches, and they won't like, me, like to hear this, but I'm going to evaluate a player and just give me his highlight tape. Well, all I need to see it, I can tell if he can play, just give me his highlight tape. What the heck? Give me 10 plays. Well, you know, all right, there's a run play. There's a pass play. Um, Oh, there's a blitz coming. Oh, he stepped in front of it. Didn't block it, but he got in front of it. That's good enough. Obviously, you can tell I'm being very critical. You can't evaluate a player on a highlight tape. A highlight tape might... Get you more interested in the player, you may qualify him further that I want to in the, evaluate in
1: the, in the identification and the qualification stage.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I, now I want to evaluate him further than perhaps just the highlight. That look, okay, he got he he got my attention. Okay, we yeah. qualified him. He got my attention. Now let's really evaluate him. Give me his last five games or last three games. And best, best, take,
1: best, best competition. Yeah, absolutely. Best
0: competition. Yeah. Exactly. Give me his best footage. I don't want to have a, uh, you know, give me his, his, give me a whole game. And if the game is broken down where it's offensive defense and I get just the offensive from a, a wide angle in an end zone. Great. Okay. But let me evaluate it. Let me take out an evaluation tool and make notes as I'm doing it or put it into a computer or whatever I'm going to use. Let me look at the positives. Let me look at the negatives. And most of all, let me look at his critical factors, his strength, his explosion, his athletic ability, his mental learning. I may not be able to tell that on tape necessarily, but I may be able to see how he, his awareness and his instincts and how he reacts to situations. Then get, let me get into his position specifics. And that is, tell me about his first step. Uh, Tell me about his hip flexibility. Does he snap his hips upon contact? Does he give me a good punch, a flat back coming out, low off the ball? Good punch on contact, snap the hips, move the feet on contact, run the feet through the whole process, or do they stop on contact and go on and on and on, item by item for the position specific that that player is involved with. Okay. So now I've evaluated and I'm taking notes and I'm looking at, when you take a look at notes, when you're watching film, it's a very simple process. Some people make it a very difficult process, but if you basically set up your form, when you've got the the past plus and the past negatives split the page in half, and as you see the positive things with the past, and the negative things with the past, those things will start to show up on a continuum. Then take the run game, the run, positive run, negative run. If it's a position, that's all you got to do for whatever position.
1: And, and, it, and it, look, it looks like a scale. It, that's, it, look, that's it, right. it makes it so much easier ever exactly. since you showed me that form.
0: Yeah. And you've got a scale. You, you've got an item in front of you that is continually showing the positive and the negatives. Now, when you go to the last thing of your evaluation to write your report or summary or whatever you're asked to do, you've got it in front of you. Well, let's say his negatives, his positives are these on the run and the pass, his negatives are this. Oh, he plays too high, upright, straight legged, struggles to kick slide to get out in space, gets beat off the edge. Can't struggle to, can't recover to try to push the guy past the quarterback, on and on and on.
1: And, and since we're already in the in the weeds of it, how do you take the step back to make sure you get the forest out from the trees? Because I think it, it's hard for for young scouts. I know it was hard for me. I would get really long winded, you know, and, and you would write down everything you saw from the minute you sat down, and you just write and write and write, and then you get to the end of the you know the film exposure. And you have just notes on notes on notes, and it's not efficient. Maybe, maybe you're thorough, but you don't and you're you're not as targeted with your notes and and your process because at the end of the day, you still have to come away with what's the vision of the player and what is this player in our program. So I think if you talked about how you consolidate those notes into your summary, what's what's your process for that?
0: Very good. Very good question. The process is very very simple. On on the back of your your works uh, tape evaluation sheet, every sheet number one has the critical factors are all the same: height, weight, speed, strength, and all these. Then you have a a group for position specifics pertaining to the position of the player you're evaluating. So the position specifics questions, or you want answers to. And evaluate are right there in front of you. It may be seven different points for an offensive lineman. It may be eight different points for a defensive back. It may be six defensive points for a defensive lineman. That's what you want to concentrate because those are the things that you want to know. Otherwise you can get into so much minutia, you can get lost in what you're just saying. Those are the things that are important. Now, each university, each club, each team, has to determine those position specifics by the line coach or the people who work with that or the offensive coordinator, because those are the characteristics you need to evaluate to see if they fit your system. If your system says, I don't care if he can run, is he strong enough? Well, if the guy's slow, he's got slow feet, but he can get in front of a guy just enough and he's so strong, he freezes him at the line of scrimmage. I don't care. That's what I want yeah. because in our offense and defense, these are the key factors I need to look at. So if you start doing so many different things, focus on the key positional needs for your offense, your defense, your kicking game, and so forth.
1: And and that's, and that's where the convergence of the coaches and the scouts has to exist. You have to have that open line of communication. It's, it's you're you're not operating in silos because at the end of the day, those are the people that are working with them and developing those players. So like the the first full week I was at at Rice, it was going office to office, sitting down, what do you like? What do you not like? What are your you gotta find out what's what are the negotiables, the things that we can maybe compensate on, but what are the non-negotiables, the things that we absolutely have to have at each of right. these positions. Exactly. And then the other thing to tack on is that each year is different, you know. You lose different types of players. So yeah, you, you're losing a, a tight end, but this year we're losing Jordan Myers, who'll who graduate. And he does so much as an H tight end where he plays in a hip alignment and he can, you know, pull and and hit moving targets and be a factor in the pass game. So we've got to find somebody that can actually do those things. The fourth critical phase in the recruiting process is the actual recruitment.
0: That is correct. How,
1: how do you how, how do you look at the recruitment process?
0: Today, especially, I mean, it's always been the lifeblood, but today in major college athletics, as well as the smaller schools, it's a 12 month job. It never stops. Okay. Now it's slowed down because of the pandemic quite a bit. But the process that you go through over a 12 month calendar is ongoing. There there used to be a time when, okay, we got through spring practice. I did my, uh, did my spring work in, in May and whatever. And then I'm going on vacation or when we've got our camps for a couple weeks in June, and then I'm on vacation and I'm on vacation, man, I'm going to Hawaii or wherever it might be. I'm not thinking about football anymore. Okay. I'm taking my family. We're going to the Northwoods of Minnesota to the international boundaries, and I'm going to get a canoe and I'm going to fish. But we never thought about that. But today you've got students that are knocking on your door. Hey, can I come in and see you? I don't know who this kid is, but he shows up and he's got his mom and dad there. And oh, by the, you know, the recruit and the, the missions office sent him over. He's interested in football. I don't know. I didn't identify him, but he shows up. So as a means of being professional and congenial, I'll, yeah, I've got a second. Come on in. Tell me your name, blah, blah, blah. And we get into that dialogue. And maybe it turns out this guy's legit, you know, when you talk to him. Anybody else showing an interest? Yeah, Alabama and Southern Cal and Michigan. I state called last night. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, you know, what are, what are your thoughts academically? Uh, oh, I want, you know, I want biomechanical engineering and uh, you know, I want to invent uh, you know, a new way to prosthesis and so forth. Well, you know, we just have this great biological program here, and, and it's in engineering, and they're working on prosthesis. In fact. We're actually having our students going out to get internships at the manufacturing prosthesis manufacturing centers in America. Really? But I knew my product when he started to talk. Okay. Yep. And all of a sudden I'm getting a dialogue and connecting piece. Now connecting with the people is one of the foremost traits a good recruiter has to have. How do I connect with you? Well, I'll give you a good example. So I'm on a Zoom call this morning with a gentleman and he gets, he gets on and in the background, he has Northern lights in the background of the setting he's at. Now, if, for people who don't know what the Northern lights are, it's the Aurora Borealis, which in the Northern tier of our, of our country, you can see in the summer or different times of the year, And it's these beautiful colors that will wave and roll and so forth. Well, he's got this beautiful scene behind him on his zoom in his room of this. And I said, first thing I said is I just introduced my name. I said, let me ask you something behind you. You got the Rory Borealis, the Northern lights. Those are gorgeous. I said, do you enjoy watching the Rory Borealis? And he goes, well, yeah, but no one's ever even been able to define what that is. I said, well, I lived in northern Minnesota, four hours north of Minneapolis, and was a head coach at age 27 and athletic director at a small school, Division II, called Bemidji State University. And I could look out at night at 10 o'clock at night, look out my front window of my house, and I would see the most picturesque Rory Borealis going on for the next couple hours. I connected with the guy right away. He goes, Whoa, I've never talked with somebody who even knows much about it. I said, Have you ever experienced it yourself? one time i said well if you experience it more than one time and you get a chance what i i established a connecting point with this guy and then we were able to just communicate that's really a critical factor in the recruitment process that you establish a connecting point with people and especially one that's a human connecting point if you can yeah i remember i remember another situation i was recruiting And the coach had this big, at first time I had met this coach. And when you, when you go into, you're taught this in sales. And one of the greatest things that I wish that college coaching we did is have sales meetings with our recruiting people, a sale. How do I recruit now for a short period of time in my career for about six months when I was out of football, I took a sales job with MCI telecommunications. And we traveled around the state of Texas during the week and we went door to door cold calling sales in every community you could imagine in the state of Texas. All right. But the key was, how do you connect with this? Well, so what's one particular time, a manager of this small store, He said, yeah, I'll listen to what you got to say. And I went into his room and his office and there in the back of this wall, he had this beautiful rainbow trout a big one, I mean a big one, sitting on his wall. And that was the first thing I saw. And I want to connect with this guy. He doesn't know me from Adam. So the first thing I say, where did you catch that beautiful trophy fish? I bet you got that maybe up by Conroe. No, I got it such and such at some reservoir. I said, Oh, how did you catch it? What did you use? Did you use a, a hula popper or what'd you catch it with? And he said, now, hula popper, how do you know about that? And he told me how he, tell me about the fight he gave you. And I'm warming this guy up before I've ever met him before. I'm giving him a human interaction connecting process. Versus, hi, how are you? I'm John Peterson, the D-line coach here at Mississippi.
1: Well, you're, and, and, and you can't have that interaction unless when you go into that office, you have a curiosity about that person and saying, okay, there's something unique about this person that maybe or maybe I, I can't connect with, but if I don't have my eyes open, I'm not going to see it. If you're so focused on your pitch, if you're so focused on yeah. your little world and, and being tunnel vision, you're going to
0: miss those opportunities. No question. Then the next thing I want to tell you about is connecting with decision makers. Mm. Okay. Connecting with decision makers as you work with this person. You ask questions such as, "Now, tell me about mom and dad." Well, my mom and dad. How long have they been together? Oh, well, my dad, mom, and dad have been married for 27 years. I'm their oldest child. I have a younger sister. Uh, you know, I'm 18 years old. They had me a few years after that. They were married, of course. And um, you know, we live in such and such. Oh, gosh, I know that it's a beautiful area. And um, so then it was. We talked more and more. Tell me about. Tell me about your background. You know, how did you get involved with football? How did you get playing? Did mom and dad really support you? Were they really there to watch every game? Okay, were they there to put some money out for you to go to summer camp at uh, Texas or somewhere? And you're starting to get to know them, but you're also starting to get to know the relationship of who might be a major decision maker in the recruitment process. Follow me? Mm-hmm. And what we're what we're doing is now. I'm starting to put a little map together. I've got this guy here. I got parents here. Are they connected? Are they connected? If they're connected, is it connected to both? Is it connected to one? Tell me about your relatives. Your your parents still alive? Oh, I mean your grandparents? Oh yeah, my grandparents, they live three houses down from us. Oh, are they very active in your life? Yeah, 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 and so forth. You begin to get this idea. Well, let me ask you a question. When you're getting ready to make a decision on the school you go to, what three schools do you think you're going to narrow it to? I well, I I've looked at this school, this school, and this school, and I can, can you rank order those schools for me? Well, yeah, one would be A&M, two would be Baylor, and three would be Oklahoma State. Okay, so you want to stay in state, two of the three schools you've named. Okay, so geographically, you probably want to stay in Texas. Yep. Okay, all right, tell me if if you select a and and you live in Cypress Woods, that's a close drive to A&M. So because of that, it, you'd want to live fairly close by because mom and dad and your grandparents are close to them. And maybe your sister, when she goes, she might want to go to A&M and have both of you at the same school. I'm connecting who decision makers are now. It looks like, okay. Tell me about mom. Where does she go to school? Did she go to school? Yeah, she's a graduate of AM. What about dad? Oh, he went to Texas. Well, you must have some rivalries that go on, right? Blah, blah, blah. But when it gets down to it, who probably has most influence on your decision as to where you want to go? Well, uh, probably my mom. You know, my dad would support wherever I want to go, but my mom is sure pushing AM. I'm getting to determine who a major decision maker is now. I need to know that. Because now I need to connect with mom and dad and especially mom. Oh, yeah. by the way, my grandpa, did he go to grandma and grandpa go to school? Yeah. Went to and <laughs> that's easy. Did he play any sports? Yeah. Shoot. He was, I well, didn't play football, but he was, he was on a full ride for tennis. So now I'm getting background and I'm getting to know who I need to connect to who are decision makers. Okay. How about your football coach? How long have you been playing for your coach? Oh, I started as a sophomore, been there three years. You, are you close to your position coach? Or would you say you, you have a great relationship with him or you like your head coach or what? He oh, yeah, I love my head coach. Tell me about your head coach. Why is he so important to you? And maybe he comes up and says, well, he's like my father. He's my father on the field. He's this and that. Well, guess what? I just determined another major decision-making factor. It's mom, an AM, it's dad off the field, out of the house on the field, and maybe grandpa because he went to AM too, he could help throw in a little curveball. So I'm connecting. And in the recruitment process, many coaches don't connect. They're stiff and they want it this and that. Can he play? And that's all I care. Today's recruitment is a serious, serious business. Here's another thing I'll say. Coaches don't want to hear me say this. You, ask, If you ask me right now, Alex, what's my percentage of college football? Of the makeup 100% of college football throughout a 12-month calendar, I'm going to tell you 60% is recruiting, 20% is coaching, and 20% is player development, both on the field and off the field. And that makes down the 100%. Again, 60% is recruiting, 20% is coaching, 20% is player development. And coaches don't want to hear that. Oh, I do more than that. Only 20%. Are you kidding me? No, you're involved in all those processes. Yes. But the breakdown in college football today is so much more recruiting than it ever, ever has been and will continue to get. That's why we've got to have the same type of, or better facilities. We got to have a better locker room. I got to have a better weight room. When the when the player's mom comes in with the player for the first time in our lobby, I've got to have it's impressive that they see. If you go into the, library, the, the lobby at the University of Texas or Texas A&M, you go, wow, this is really something. Okay. If I go in another school, it, it may be outdated. They need to make it livelier, more exciting, more eye-catching. Recruiting today is a, is a situation where it's glitz, it's glamor, and it's also a point where these players in most cases have been told they're good and they're great and they're gonna come and play for us. Now, I'll go back another situation. I'm visiting at TCU. I'm talking to the pro liaison years ago, and I'm talking to him, and he says, you probably know him, Alex, and he goes, I said, why is it that these players today feel that they're so, they're so, um, what's the word I want? Not gifted, they feel, um, they're so rated, they're so highly rated, they're uh, on a pedestal, and I said, "Why?" And and he said, "I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the reason. We as college coaches tell them way back in the ninth and tenth grade when we first identify suspects to prospects. Try to love them up. Yep. yep. Love them up. You're the yeah. you're you're going to start as a freshman. By the time you're a junior, you're going to be an all-world. You do you can do that. I know you went four-four. I know this. I know that." And we build their egos up so strongly that they think they're invisible. And that's owed to them. It's owed to them. So now this guy comes to your college campus, and now because that's owed to me, I'm the very best. I should have the best of this and the best of that, and and being the top of the echelon of this. And so it's become an arms race, even in facilities at universities and colleges. Okay? What can I do to make? myself be ahead of my competition. Remember, know your product, know your market and know your competition. Well, if Texas did this when, you know, Matt Brown was there and now when their new coaching staff came in, they had to do this. Okay. Those type of things exist. And in order, when, when the new coach is there or the candidate to be your new head coach and he's touring your touring your facility, and he's thinking, geez, I had a better this where I'm at better that. You know, if I'm coming here, I got to have this new and that new and so forth. Or I'm not coming. I mean, it's got to get a better situation facility-wise where I'm at.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's absolutely an arms yeah. Um I, so anyway, I, I, I want to just tag on, too, uh, if the biggest concern from your perspective is the entitlement. Component that like, that nat- that na- that naturally happens yeah. through the recruiting process. Um, we had Yogi Roth on the show, um, episode six, a couple months back, and the thing that he was talking about is if he ha- if he had a recruiting department, his whole focus would be unearthing students student athletes that have a love for the game that that love ball and that have a have a true passion for it, and that's such a hard thing to really quantify and i wanted to i wanted you to kind of like what's your process for finding out the love for the game and and from my perspective having been a pro liaison and dealing with scouts year in and year out the scouts that straight up asked does he love the game i was kind of turned off by that question because only because when you're going through the process your your checklist of questions when you're interviewing a, a coach or, or personnel guy, um, you should be mapping together, like what the the DNA of this, this player, and you should be able to kind of read between the lines of, yeah, he says he loves ball, but he shows up a minute late to academics. He doesn't put extra time in watching film. He goes hard on the field, but he doesn't do anything extra beyond what he's required. So that to me tells me he likes the game. He doesn't love it. So what's, how, do you, how do you go about determining whether a kid likes it or doesn't? And, and, and maybe it's not necessarily likes or, or doesn't, but it's more of the, does he like the game or does he love the game?
0: Great question, and I'll go back to the word critical factors. Um, the, the questions I start to ask and want answers for, definitive answers, not just, yeah, he works hard, I want to know a number of things. Number one, tell me his work ethic on the field, off the field when he's by himself at home, when he's here for the summer workouts, tell me about his workout program throughout the year. Tell me what it exists. Does he just go down and run a few laps, push a few weights, say I worked it, leave? Give me, show me the numbers of his progression. Well, as a freshman, he came in and benched 300, 265. And that was in, that was in the summer when he first came in after graduating from high school. He was one of our kids that came in early and trained and worked and took the two classes and so forth. All right. Well, right now we're talking, I'm recruiting him. It's I'm seeing him for the first time. It's December. Okay. What's his numbers now? What are his numbers now? Well, he's benches up to 305. He's this, he's that. Tell me how he's worked to get it to 305. What I'm saying is I want definitive defined specifics. I don't want to hear he's a good worker. He works hard in the weight room. What does hard in the weight room mean? Does he spend his first 30 minutes on the bench press only? And then he goes another 30 minutes on squats and he goes up the ladder. And he starts it a workup and he gets up to his max and he comes back down and does 15 reps here and 10 reps here. What's his max? Give me his lifting days. What does he do on that day?
1: It, does, it doesn't do you any good to give you an abstract answer of, Oh uh, right. uh, yeah, he's good. He's good. That's right. it. What, it, what that's, is, what is good?
0: That's what? the point I'm making. I can only measure his wealth of, of work by looking at his anal- analytically at his stats and the progression that he does. When I say, what does he do in the off season? As far as when a coach is not there, what does he do when he goes home at Christmas? You sit down and eat mom's good cooking for the next two weeks. Or does he go to the gym in the morning and then comes back and has breakfast and whatever, and goes back out for a run in the evening or whatever. Tell me that I want to know those things because when he comes to our place, it's going to be required that he does this, 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 and this in his progression and in detail. So yeah. my, my answer to they would, would be detail, definitive analytical specifics is what I want to know. Instead of a general statement, he's a hard worker. Show me, prove to me he's a hard worker. Prove to me he has a mental, a mental uh, level of intelligence and learning. How does he learn? Okay. Is he a, is he read by just sight? Does he read by a multiple means? You know, is he a visual learner? Does he learn through experience, through walkthroughs? Is he a high rep guy? What does that mean? High rep. High rep. I may explain it to him one time. He doesn't get it. He asked, but he won't ask questions to un- go to do it again. I'll go back over and do it again. I'll do it five times as long as he knows it. by the fifth time he's got it. When I go on the field, I get to expect he's going to take a couple of recs to run that play right. But I need to know those things so that I can teach and work with him and develop him. Remember, 20% player development. I can't develop a player unless I know all the critical factors about his development phase, what's involved with it, mentally, physically, emotionally, how he reacts to his environment. I don't want to go lift in that weight room. I only got one bench and five guys are
1: on well and the the other part that ties back into the evaluation process and and really the way you describe it 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 goes to the qualifying stage of does this guy have the mental makeup to handle the difficulties of our program and 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 you can develop at a program if you have those qualities those those inherent traits because it's hard to make somebody want it it's hard to make somebody show up at 6 a.m. with the right mindset. You could show up, but you, you could show up and just exist. Um, this is awesome. We're, we're, we're off to a fast start. I wanna ask you um second question I have for you. And man, we really, we really got deep in the weeds on this. This was great. Um, who's the best recruiter you've seen or been around and why? And, and I think what's cool about your background is that you've spent so much time mining the talent in the Southwest in particular, and and you've had other areas, but I mean you know this region, you know the coaches, you know the cycles, and you've seen coaches recruit and develop NFL talent. So who would you say is the best recruiter you've been around and why? I,
0: I put it into two phases. Phase one is my past myself when I was an active college recruiter, actively. I mean, I'm on I'm boots on the ground. And that, and I'll give you the name of that person named Mark Duffner. Mark Duffner was our defensive coordinator at Holy Cross college. He'd been a GA at Ohio state under Woody Hayes. And I was the recruiting coordinator at Holy Cross assistant head coach. And so I was a guy that organized and ministered and so forth. But Mark Duffner was the guy that boots in the ground to go out and work. He loved it. He had a passion for it. And at that particular time, And, you know, that's years ago. Obviously, things have changed drastically in the process of recruiting. But during that process of what we existed at that time, he was by far met all the type of criteria that we've already visited about here today. Mark Duffner has been in the NFL for almost 27 years, probably. Um, He has been the head coach when he left Holy Cross, or I should say, He was elevated to the head coaching position after four years at Holy Cross, his win loss record was 60 and four, 60 wins and four losses. Took over the program at the University of Maryland. And by his fifth year at Maryland, he added up to a five and five program or six and six, whatever, because they were a perennial doormat and he just steadily worked it and worked it and worked it. Then he went into the pros. He's been to Cincinnati Bengals presently. He's been with them before, Green Bay Packers. I make the comment, Mark, you've been to all three NFL teams in the state of Florida. You are now a Florida all-star coach, NFL coach, Jacksonville, Miami, and Tampa. So anyways, but he still exists today. Mark Duffner is on the staff coaching at the Cincinnati Bengals. He's back there his second time. But when I look at the past, that's the person I talk about as the best recruiter. When I look at today, contemporary. Okay. And now I look at contemporary today. I look at it from an outside person looking in, watching people recruit, being around college coaches who recruit because actively I'm not involved in the recruitment on the boots on the ground. Okay. Scott Vestal from Rice University in my opinion is today the most outstanding college football recruiter in present day. Now, What are the two things, what are the multiple things that those two past and present, if you want to use the word, in my opinion, recruiters of the year, all-star recruiters, what do they have that makes them the best of the past and the best of the today? We've talked about them. They communicate. They connect. They're able to understand their product. They understand the market they're in. They understand the competition they're in. And then from those, those three factors that they understand, they work their magic and they work their recruiting process. Okay. And they're the ones that understand salesmanship. They understand facility development. They understand how do I conduct an on-campus visit? uh, Formal or informal? Mm -hmm. How do I make a school call? How do I talk to the young man at the school if I'm able to do that? How do I, who do I see? Who do I talk with? Who do I get to know? And every one of those two people I'm referring to can, can and do connect at their, where they're at. Uh, Scotty Vestal's probably, in my opinion, obviously modern day recruiter of the year. And because he he can go into the city of Dallas amongst everybody in the world who's in there And he can recruit with the best of them. Now, he may not always get the guy that's going to Ohio State or Texas, but he's sure getting a higher level of player going to Rice than what they've had in the past, in many cases. Now, they've had good people at Rice, don't get me wrong. But he he brings in a much higher level recruit in multiple different areas from a player to a student to a person to your name.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, shoot, I've only been with him for one year. And, I mean, just – The first thing that you talk about is just a passion for it and a love for actually doing the thing. And he's, he's been so much fun to work with. And a lot, a lot of schools have that recruiting coordinator title, but he's very, very involved with our process, but. Who would you say are the biggest, maybe it's one or two people, but biggest influence on your career?
0: Well, I have to go back and go past and present on this again. Okay. My first college coach that I worked for presently lives in Houston, Texas. His name is Jerry Ipolity. Jerry Ipolity was our head coach at Northern Illinois University. My first college coaching experience as a graduate assistant. I was there two years under his direction. And uh, you know he promoted me to the second year to be the head freshman coach and the veteran. Um, I, I, off campus uh, advanced scout, I should say. Um, But by not knowing a lot at that time coming two years at the high school level, you know, I I helped our kids in recruiting. I put out a manual that all is sent out to all the colleges which identified all the players and stats and so forth that we had at our high school, Highland High School, Highland, Indiana, Northwestern part of the state next to Gary Hammond in a real industrial area. And, um, but then when coach polity came through to one of my players, I had, he came and visited me and obviously I saw him. And again, I was not the head coach. I was the guy who was putting this program together. I would go on a visit with him, drive him to a school and so forth. And, uh, he had an interest in a couple of our players who eventually signed and so forth, but that's how I, I got there. Okay. Again, a connecting point. It just wasn't sending out a resume. Hey, I'd like to be a GA. It was a connecting point, even at that lower level of getting into college. Right. Uh, And so at the same time, the two years I was with him, I had so many great experiences just to watch, just to sit and listen and watch, whether it was a, whether it was a a meeting of uh, offering players or a visit on campus or a home visit, you name it. And he was exceptional. Okay um you know that, that that same question um i have to ask at the pro level okay at the pro level okay getting into the national football league um the gentleman that i refer to is randy mueller randy mueller um he randy Mueller hired me with the seattle seahawks and took me out of the canadian football league I was director of player personnel at Ottawa and then back at Toronto eventually. Uh, No, I should say from Ottawa to the San Antonio as the GM of the San Antonio Riders. That ended back to Toronto and then he hired me out of the CFL. Uh, Taught me a terrific amount about pro scouting, both college and pro. And at the same time, uh, Coach Dennis Erickson was our head coach at that time with Seattle a terrific man to work with and learn from and most of my learning was done by just listening listening asking a question at the right time not trying to be a, a chattermouth, but one who just listened and if i didn't understand something just simply say hey i think i'm clear on this but could you go over that just one more time to make sure i've got i know the details and they would do that and that was very important today randy Mueller. Uh, was in Houston with the XFL he was the um, director player personnel with the Houston um, team in the XFL a few months ago but from Seattle where he hired me became the general manager and or top executive and then went to New Orleans as the general manager New Orleans Saints and was named NFL executive of the year when he brought them back as far as they've been So those are two, two names. Okay. Again, I break it down into the college and I break it down into the pro uh, because there is, there are some differences, no doubt, as we move from, from one to the next. So
1: no, I, and it's really cool to uh, to hear how with both of those guys, your process is just listening and and asking the right questions and kind of leads me into the next question is how do you learn? And I, I I know you're a big listener and and you you just love talking to people about this game. You have such a passion for it. So what what is your process now for learning and growing? Because I'm curious, just seeing how you've been able to be have success at all these different levels, and and it's not just you know college. It's not just pro. You know you had a chance to do the the UFL and then you know the AAF and the obviously the XFL, which unfortunately you know, COVID struck, but what, what's your process for learning? Cause I, I just have seen your develop. I mean, I've caught you at the, at the back end, but you've been able to just maneuver this industry. Like no, no worries at all.
0: Thank you. Um, Alex, when I think the first thing you have to do is analyze yourself. How do I learn best? You know we ask that question in recruiting to the coach to the academic counselor how does he learn what's his sat score he's higher in math and he's lower in english does that mean he has a slow is he a slow reader and, and is able to work with numbers quickly and so forth so you ask the question how does that person learn does he learn visually does he learn in writing does he learn a combination of both and so I ask myself, how do I best learn? How does John Peterson best learn? And it's a, it's very simple over the years. I'm a high rep guy. All right. That means I need repetition on a concept that's given to me. If I'm looking at a player and I'm broken, I'm breaking down a defensive corner and I and I'm watching the corner. I want to learn about this corner. And the first thing I'm looking for is he gets in his back pedal is his stance and his back pedal. And he's now back pedaling. Does he use his arms? Is he a, does he really use elbow drive or they just kind of hang by his side and does this when he gets to the break point, when he has to make a decision, does he open his hips or can he flip his hips? Flipping your hips is quicker than just opening. It's fast. Okay. So those are the kind of things I want to learn about this guy, but I got to see the guy do it more than once. I got to see him do it for a whole game to get an idea. So when I learn, I learn as a high rep guy. And I know people don't like to hear that. That's who I am. I know how I learn. And I think that's one of the the most first things you want to do. Analyze yourself. How do I learn? I am not a multitasker person. My wife will multitask. She'll start something here and she'll leave and go over here. I'll say, Wendy, you were just working on this. Why don't you finish it? Oh, well, I got interested in this. And she'll tell you, she's a multitasker. She can't, I said, Joey, do me a favor. Just finish something first, okay? But to answer your question, that's me. First thing you want to do, ask yourself, how do I learn? Really define it. Am I a visual guy? Am I a hands-on guy where I've got to experience it? Now, and we'll get to it a little later on, but one of the, the, the in our class I teach with the Scouting Academy, one of the most important factors we have, after I teach a lesson for a couple hours on the topic, we now give our students an assignment, an experiential learning assignment. I want you to go out and do what I just taught you how to do it. I want you to go visit an NFL camp, a training camp. And I want you to pick out a group of players, a group of DBs, wide receivers, and I want you to evaluate those 15 of those guys at corners and safeties. But before you do that, we just taught you what you've got to do first. You got to get permission to go into an NFL camp. How do I do that? How do I get a credential at the camp? We teach them every tiny specific thing so that when they go there, that experience that they're going through is smooth, it's productive, and their learning is at a high level. And if I'm a high rep guy, then I need to stay extra time watching that position. So I got it. So I know it. So I understand it. But if I'm a multitask guy, I can take a couple looks and I got it. Okay that's great but self analyze how you learn first so you can then go out and execute it and be productive
1: and what a time to learn yourself and and your own learning habits when we're all stuck at home like oh, no doubt it, it's it, it's been the as as tough of a time as as it is across the country it, I've really gotten a chance to to catch up on reading and catch up on connecting with people over the phone and it's amazing to see how our, our community, our football community has just responded with, I mean, if you really want to be successful in this industry and you want to learn the information's out there, like people are posting stuff every single day, the, the virtual clinics, I mean, just popping up right and left. So that's been really cool. I want to know what you, what have you been reading? What have you been listening to? have you been listening to any podcasts and, You've been watching anything,
0: yeah, um I've read articles. I haven't read any books lately. I've read certain of articles, you know,
1: mm-hmm. I like
0: to get on football scoop and read some articles of coaches what they're saying and doing, and um you know some philosophies they have and how to handle this, and how do I handle that, So I read a lot of articles uh, on the different media sources that we have, and football scoop seems to be the one that I kind of go to and magnetize the most, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to get on our different services that we have and read about players. Okay, read about upcoming players I don't know about. You know, again, I go back to Draft Diamonds, these interviews they have, or you know, the, the, I'll, I'll get on a, a, a program and read about um, depth charts. What's your depth chart look like? Boy, oh, he's got five seniors at this on that front offensive line, and this and that, and. I kind of project how do they do last year if I know much about them and so forth. Um, so I do a lot of that. I, I like to get into magazines if I'm looking at high school kids that might be coming up, just get an idea who the high school kids in our area are. So I'll pick up a Street and Smith or a Dave Campbell's I hear in Texas, that type of thing. Yep. Um, so I do that. Um, I, I'm not a guy that likes to, Go back and look. Well, especially during this time when all like ESPN is doing these reruns and that and so forth, I will occasionally do that. But you know, I I want to look at something contemporary more so than that. Um, podcast, I will listen, but you know, I'm in the process mostly of visiting myself on, on on that with our class and so forth. So. Oh yeah. I, yeah. So I do that, and 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 I guess my biggest thing is, I like to learn where I can then help others, okay? I learned a new concept that I want to explain to you that I think is really unique uh, and how it ties into our class that we're working with. You know, I just I just came across this new visual aid. Uh, I'll send it to Dan Hapman, our owner and director. They put, put this online so our players, when I, when I talk about it, this is a new visual aid I want them to see as I'm talking about it on our cast, okay? Uh, and because it's contemporary, it's new, and boy, it fits what we've been talking about, or it certainly highlights what we've been talking about. It,
1: it, it's, so, it's so indicative of your, uh, your passion for coaching and mentoring people, because you said players mm-hmm. when you're talking yeah. about your students. So yeah. I mean, you ultimately, like I was looking at your experience and we've known each other for a long time. We've talked yes. on the phone a million times from, yep job opportunities, to job interviews, to you coming in town to talk about players. But I, I did not realize that you taught or you were faculty at three of your five college coaching positions.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: The coaching profession is so much different than it was when you were in the game. Talk. And I just want to kind of touch on it before we can jump into the topic um, about just player personnel departments as a whole. Uh, Cause we've kind of touched a little bit on, on your background. Um, but just talk about how different the coaching life was when you were going through it, because, you know, you were managing the dorms, you were, you know, working with admissions, you were working in the classroom uh, in addition to the recruiting and the coaching and it, it's different levels of recruiting now, obviously, right. but uh, just so, so much of a different kind of world.
0: Yeah. Well, when I look back at my experience like you're talking about, at the Division II level, where I coached two different times, Holy Cross and Northern Illinois, and we were not a major five uh, leagues as, as we have them today, you know, we're not, well, I guess we call them mid-level Division One It's probably the best way to, to define it. Northern Illinois is in the mid america Conference. Holy Cross at that time, we were Division I and we played Army in Boston College and you know, people like that, and then some of the IVs and so forth. But so, so those, those are two strictly football jobs, 100% football. But at the smaller schools I've been at, you also have a teaching component. Now, I've got a PhD in health science, so that helped me obtain those jobs, okay? So my first job, a little school called Frostburg State University in Frostburg, Maryland, out on the panhandle of Western American Amer- Maryland, about 60 miles East of Morgantown, West Virginia, out in the Appalachians. And um, because I had a PhD and teaching experience at Northern Illinois, when I was at Northern Illinois, I taught anatomy, I taught kinesiology, uh, a couple of different health classes. I even taught a beginning swimming class, okay? In addition to coaching, you know, full office and recruiting and so forth. But, and and because I could teach at that level at that time, I was able to get those jobs because the other guys, they were just football coaches and they had to hate the word "just." Okay. But that's what, that was their primary function. But with the job requirements of a smaller school or a mid america conference school in the off season or whatever, in the spring term or whatever you had to teach. Okay. Whether it was a weight training class, but in my case, because of my background and study, they, I fell into a situation, and I'll just say this, because again, it's how you connect and where you're at. So I'm a 26-year-old 20, guy, 25-year-old guy, and at that time, I only had a master's degree going into in Illinois. So we've been in training camp. I had just joined the staff with Jerry Apollity's staff, and I went in there, and it got tied for school. I needed a parking pass for my car to park in, in the, outside the stadium so I could go in the office. I, where do I get one? Well, I'll go to the phys ed office over there. The athletic director is there and phys ed and so forth. I come in, I introduce myself. And I'm just here. Who do I see or how do I get a parking pass? You know, I'm new on the staff. I'm a graduate assistant and entitled, but not even financially at that time and the gentleman across the way had his door open and he can hear me talking to the secretary and he says the secretary said hey send that guy in here this is two days before school starts in august we're done with camp we're going on a single schedule school starts on monday this is a friday he goes sit down young man tell me about yourself and i tell him and this and that and he goes wow he goes well undergrad is Eastern Michigan. Your master's at Michigan state. You're a Michigan guy originally from Ann Arbor born and raised, but tell me who your professors were at Michigan state. And I tell him this fellow named Dr. Van Huss and Dr. Huesner and a big smile comes on this man's face. He said, I did my doctorate work with both of them. And Huesner was, a, was like Olympic swimming coach at that time for the United States. He was unbelievable. And so uh, and the research was swimming and so forth. He said, Oh, okay. Well, tell me the kind of class when you had, when you had Van Hust, what class was that? I said, well, it was med- medical physiology. He goes, Oh my goodness. Okay. And we talked and talked, and I think nothing of it. And he never, <laughs> never even really got around a parking pass. To LeVan, he said, well, you need a parking pass. I'll get one for you. Okay, great. When do I pick it up? Oh, I Come back this afternoon. I go back to the office. I'm there about a half an hour and the secretary calls and said, John, you have a phone call um, from Dr. Kaler over in, in the phys ed building. I said, what? I just talked to them man, I'm in it for the first time. Well, I don't know, but you better get on this phone call. I get on the phone call. Said, yes, Dr. Kaler. What can I do? I, I, can I come over and pick up that parking pass later this afternoon? Maybe give me a time when I can come over. He goes, John, not only don't I have a parking pass for you, but I've got a job opportunity for you. Uh, I'm going, what? He said, now tell me your situation over football. I said, well, it, theoretically I'm volunteer because the finances didn't come through my first year here, whatever it is, but I'm a GA entitled without any money and I'm on my own. And he goes, well, guess what? You are now a faculty assistant at Northern Illinois and your salary will be $5,000 and you will make, and I need you to teach anatomy, physiology, a health class and this and that and so forth throughout the year. I said, I'm speechless. And he, and I said, well, yeah, I accept. He said, now how did this, Dr. Kater, how did this happen? Well, last night, the guy who was going to teach those, and again, we're three days away from school opening first day classes resigned and took a job at North Carolina A&T as the head track coach and this and that. And I've got to move people around in in his teaching capacities that he had, but I can't find anybody to teach those particular classes. Now he didn't have those, but another person's going to take this and this and a domino effect. And you're going to teach those because you've got a background in it. Bingo. I was there two years and it was phenomenal. And, you know, that's how I was paid because they had cut the GAs and football down and so forth and whatever. So I was a GA, but that's where my resource finances came from, the phys ed department. And I got free tuition. So I took some courses in counselor education because my background was in drug education with the school systems and took classes. Well, eventually those classes related into my related areas of educational psychology at the University of Utah when I got my degree there uh, in, in my PhD. Now, one other further thing. So on the staff at Northern Illinois, who I meet for the first time at our first staff meeting, is a, a guy who graduated from the PhD program at the University of Utah. Well, I know I want to go that direction, but he says to me, I tell me about it. And then i just been to Salt Lake that summer and visited in the university and just drove through it. And we started talking, and by the three or four weeks into it, we're talking about grad school and getting a doctorate. He said, you want to go to Utah? I said, yeah. So he wrote for me and so forth. Again, a connecting piece, because he was so well thought of himself as a student at Utah. I got admitted and so forth and on and on and on. So I know, I, I know I'm just running the mouth right now, but
1: no, I mean, no, no. This, this is, it, it, it's so cool to, to hear it tie back to, you know, the, the, the threat in all of this is that you got to find a connecting piece with the people that you interact with and the people that you work with. Cause exactly. you just never know. And it's, it's not about yeah. having a, a end game. It's that, I mean, you're having a great conversation. You just had a good conversation and yeah. it turned so- into an opportunity. Cool. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: And, and, you know, timing was obviously so critical and then I, I fit the bill and I I established that connection and the timing was right. And I fit what he was looking for.
1: Well, and the other component that people want to just kind of gloss over is the fact that you put in a lot of work to get those degrees. You put a lot of work to put yourself into that place from an education standpoint, from a work experience standpoint, so that when those conversations do happen, You're ready because it's who you know that gets you in the building, but it's what you know and how you got to that place that's going to keep you there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And And I'll comment on that. I've always maintained this philosophy. Quality people build quality programs. Quality people build quality programs. When I get that job, you offer it to me and I get it. That is the foremost thing that I'm going to do to the level of the highest quality level I can render. I'm going to work every aspect of it. I'm going to try to find new avenues to work it that may be creative. And obviously, the core subject or core part of it, I'm going to work to its fullest and the maximum I can. So once again, when you have a job, work the job you have to the maximum. Don't be looking for your next job. How many times do you hear in coaching profession? I hired this guy and he was list, never stopped looking for a job. I only had him for two months and he was gone. Work the job you're given. Work the job so that people you work for can respect your work and feel good about your work and good about you. So they may want to nominate you a year or two later to something else okay well by the way um i got an opening i mean for instance you're at the afca football convention and two guys are talking man i got an opening okay and this happened to me this happened to me so i'm at the football convention and another friend of mine who was in graduate school at utah with me is the head coach at bemidji state or was now he's at western illinois And he's still close to the people at Bemidji state and we're talking and he says, uh, I'm at Holy Cross. He said, you want, like to be a head coach again? I said, yeah, I had a great experience here, but if the opportunity was there, yes, I would. I like to use my talents in a head job. He said, well, I know the head job at Bemidji state. It's a division two school in the Northern sun conference has an opening for a head coach. And the AD and I, because I was the head coach there myself, are very close. Let me see what I can do. Again, a connecting piece. I got the job. Throughout the process that went on, I got the job. Okay, But once again, he knew me for the job that I did as a graduate student, together with him, what we did in our classes together. In addition, of course, he knew the football background and so forth. So he felt good about it. Okay. Same thing happened. My first head job at Frostburg state, the guy I was working with at a little NAIA school while I was getting my degree at Utah, Westminster college, Salt Lake city, no longer has football for years. They've been out of football, but our basketball coach at, at Westminster college was a Frostburg state graduate played basketball and baseball. They have an opening, he from, he knew the athletic director he played for. Once again, he gave him a call. The physical education department director head went to school at South Dakota State with one of my graduate PhD graduate students I was involved with right now. How those things work. So he gave a call to the phys ed director. He gave a call to the athletic director. And because I had the degree, And I had this myriad of teaching experience, which went with the job other than coaching at football. I got it. Now I got the job over two other guys that were most more than me qualified an assistant from James Madison university. who was a local resident in the area and an assistant from university, of Illinois. Those guys are 10 times better football coaches than I was at age 27. I'm just wet behind the ears. I'm just learning, beginning to learn the profession. But because I had another area that that responsibility and duties required, I got it. So it's a combination of factors that go in. But again, Alex, to go back to that factor of connecting, doing the job to your ultimate best you possibly can at the place you're at. Don't worry about the next job. Worry about doing what you do now and do it the best you possibly can because that's how you build your reputation that you earn. You're not given a reputation. You earn that rep. And so when someone feels good about you, they can pick up heck. Yeah, I'll call for you. I'll write for you. I can't wait to talk to my buddy about you. That's how the world works. Okay. And it's workmanship. It's professionalism it's a dedication and passion that you have but the passion you have comes out on your workmanship because if you don't have a passion you may not go to the extent the extent that's needed you might just go okay I'll do this and do that as you mentioned earlier i'll, I'll do what's required i hate it when I talked about a player and the coach says well he does what he's asked to do I used to that's a,
1: that's an immediate red flag and so I, th- I think players, coaches, and anybody needs to hear what you just said. I mean, you earn your reputation by the work that you put in, day in, day out. It's not a one night thing. There's no, no such thing as an overnight success. It doesn't happen. As mentioned on the outset of this show, This is part one of my conversation with John Peterson, and we'll be back next week to talk about the personnel side of things. Have a safe weekend, and God bless.